Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Aviation RC News Podcast. My name is Joe. And I'm Matt. And today we are talking about... Remote ID. Oh, yeah? Yep, it's a topic on everybody's list. lips. As, uh, what, a little over a month from now, as we record it, and I think we're going to release it in a handful of days, um, it's going to be a law in action. Which means, uh, and it's the part of the law that says everybody must have a broadcast remote ID unit if you're not flying in Afria. Or if your aircraft is heavier than 250 grams. Even if you're flying in Afria? If you're flying in Afria, you don't need one. That's what I said. You need it if if you are not, if you're heavier than 250 grams, and you're and not flying you're in a not Fria. flying in a Fria. Okay. You'd said or. Or, or but I mean, or. I mean, well, 250 grams. Or, or. Um, I suppose and, I don't know. 250 <laughs> grams is the weight limit that, that you need remote ID unless you're in a Fria. And a Fria is a federally recognized, uh, what is that? Something yeah, which area. there's what very few of those right now. Insurrectionaries. No, it, they're getting better. <laughs> <laughs> it's not insurrectionary. Identification. That made me spit my water. <laughs> <laughs> no. So apparently the AMA's uh, has been working diligently, and um, they are they have a whole list that is being approved uh, by the FAA currently Mm -hmm. so it's basically all the ama recognized um you know sanctioned fields uh, are getting on the list unless they're in some kind of weird situation i haven't been up on what all those are but i think we saw a hint of that a long while ago we kind of looked up on the map and i started to see that some of these flying fields had had little little blips on them to indicate Mm -hmm. that they were free as which nice. is pretty cool. And if you're an AMA member, that's amazing. Uh, I don't know if FTCA is next on the list or I don't know how that's going to work out. But there's only a handful of, and they've changed a bit of the language so that it's um, uh, to uh, allow for special events. But they're a special events not sanctioned by the FAA, but, but um, I think sanctioned by the community-based organization. So that allows the AMA and the, the Flight Test Community Association um, jurisdiction to basically say, we're having an event. It's sanctioned. It'll go by these rules. And so they're thereby, you know, it's it's part of the, it kind of pulls pulls away from some of the stricter rules. Allows mm. allows people to kind of uh, fly as if it were a FRIA. So like a temporary FRIA, effectively. Now, I don't know all the details, so I'm going to say that part, uh, I'll, you know, we, we might cover it a little bit later. All right. That's that's not the gist of this. But what it is, is as we get close, everybody's wondering, how am I going to get my hands on one of these remote IDs? How many do I need? Um, how much should I set aside? I mean, should I get a, a special bank account <laughs> or a loan? Yeah. <laughs> refinance my house right uh to hawk my car i don't know but you know it, i sell a couple planes you know well as i understand uh you w- with our part of the hobby i guess if you're doing <laughs> a hobby you only have to have one 
for all your yeah. aircraft. Yeah, well, yeah, I was gonna, but if I was gonna kind of cover that. Yeah, so if you are a recreational pilot, which means that you are not making money off your operations and it is purely for recreational or education only, you only need one remote ID unit that you move from plane to plane to plane. And then that will identify you and the location of the plane you're flying. And then that's basically attached to your uh, registration number, I guess. Mm. And you, you fill out the information, you know, that you need when you when you set that up. Um, I don't know exactly how to set one up because I don't have one. Uh, not yet, at least. And if you are part 107, you need one of these for every single unit that you fly. We have to be basically attached to each one. Now, you can redesignate them, as I understand it, and it's possible that... That's where people who are going to um, who do reviews and things like that are probably going to get around having to buy, you know, a new remote ID unit with every single item that they have to review. They're going to basically have one unit they basically uh, go in and probably re reassign to a, a different mm -hmm. um, craft. So we'll we'll have to see how that works out. I mean, that's not something I think you and I are in the ballpark of. And and honestly, if you're getting into this hobby or You've been here a while, and it's all recreation, and that's really not something you're going to need to know. Um, but it is something you should have an eyeball on because it'll kind of inform, you know, how many units get sold, uh, the prices of things. And hopefully, as we get further into this, some of these prices will go down, but some of them might not. <coughs> um, okay. But, you know, before we get too far down this rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, it's okay. No, it's a, it it's it's important. Basically, we have a list that I found. I was I was looking. I was starting to compile the list, and then uh, I got my new. Um, I can't think of the name of the magazine that AMA puts out, but basically, the magazine from AMA, um, Model Aviation, I think is what it's called. Um, and somewhere in I think District One, um, they put together, uh, or District Ten, they basically put together a whole list of the remote ID units that are available as of July. And there's a list of 16. So that's, so, so don't go away. <laughs> Keep listening. Cause so we'll go through these 16 units, uh, what Stay they tuned. are. Yeah. How much they cost. Who's kind of what, wh who's producing it. Um, and what are the differences in some of the features, right? Um, and none of them are anywhere near the $40 mark that the FAA quoted when they put together the remote ID unit. Um, no, of course. No, but, it'll be easy. It'll be forty dollars. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Anyway, technology that hadn't been invented yet. Yeah, it'll be they cheap. Have a, Don't worry about it. Anyway, I, I'll try to keep my cynicism cynicism in my pocket um, <laughs> as I talk about this stuff. Uh, I don't know. I it it this whole thing doesn't give me a good feel. So, um, and I don't think it gives hardly anybody in the hobby a good feel. There, there are some benefits, and I'll talk about what I see as as a side benefit of this, and it'll mm -hmm. actually tie into one of the things that happened this weekend. So, um, let's talk about our journey uh, briefly, and then we'll we'll get into the remote ID stuff. Joe, what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks pertaining to the hobby? I know you've been busy, but not I don't know. a thing. Um. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> not a thing i kind of chopped that last word i'm sorry mm. um that's all right i'm trying to think two weeks ago what what was 
Right. We talked about the servos. I really hadn't done much. Yeah. Um, I messed with my three. So I've more been working on some other things going on around the house mm-hmm. in support of the hobby. Um, How so? And then just of, in support of other things at home. Um, that allow you to get to the hobby. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So I've got I've got my 3D printer. Um, I've not been able to print with it because my USB to micro SD uh, converter mm-hmm. apparently bit the dust. Um, oh, because I plug it into my desktop and my desktop doesn't know that anything's there, so I don't have a way really to. Don't don't you get one with every SD card? Mic- micro SD. No. But also, I didn't go and buy another micro SD. So I don't oh. really, and I can't find my micro to full size SD converter right now. So okay. I don't really have a good way to move files from my computer to my. I, I know. You can have mine. Here. Oh, thanks. I'll just reach, reach through, through the internet the and grab screen. that. <laughs> yeah, no, Beam it over, Scotty. Um, so I've been wanting to get Octoprint running. And mm-hmm. I was running into problems with. Uh, I've got a little micro PC, um, just real low end specs, but it's enough to run, uh, some basic stuff. And so I loaded Lubuntu, which is lightweight Ubuntu, um, onto as a Linux distro and I got Octoprint installed and fired up and configured and everything, but I could not get it to recognize that. I hooked a printer up. Oh. It just, it wasn't reading it at the USB device. It, it would if I used, Linux is weird. So it's all command it line and I could list it. I could list uh, peripheral devices in the command interface and I could see that something was there. I recognized the chipset as something I'd seen in the forums discussing this problem. But there's something with Lubuntu and its packages that it uses. Um, for Infor- information packages no it's more ease of access packages uh if i'm i don't fully understand it but i think lubuntu comes default with uh some things for ease of access and one of those is like a braille keyboard okay and something about that driver package that software package uh, messes with the, it, it blocks the particular chipset that the uh, Creality printer runs uh, uses. No, oh. is the best I can. Yeah, like that's the <laughs> best I can understand it. Um, yeah, well. As people that were trying it, you know, other people right. aren't trying it. Yeah. So, plus, um, I was also I brought home some um, some. Uh, wireless APs or wireless access points and I want to set up my home network uh, for wireless to have uh, my main home Wi-Fi, a guest Wi-Fi and an internet of things Wi-Fi. I'm starting to get enough right. IoT devices that I want to have them yeah. on a, yeah, on a separate. An isolated network. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like That's I smart. know my Google speaker is listening to everything I say. I just don't need <clears throat> I don't need my Roomba or my smart plugs, you know, <laughs> sniffing my wireless pa- traffic, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, I'm working on that. And to do that, 
I've got the Unif uh, Ubiquity Unify APs, and again, I know this is only tangentially hobby, but um, in order to control those uh, and do any do anything more than like some extremely basic configurations, you need to have uh, the Unify controller software. You can buy the hardware, but it's like seventy five hundred dollars, uh, or, or you can run your own server. Uh, with their free uh, software. So okay, I was working on getting that loaded up, and then there was a whole issue about uh, they don't use uh, like Microsoft SQL database or MySQL. They use MongoDB for its databases, and that's a whole... They use an outdated version of MongoDB in... Ubuntu, the more recent, like the most up-to-date stuff, doesn't support that version. So I had to load a whole... I ended up putting a regular Ubuntu on, but I had to roll back to not a unsupported version of Ubuntu, but an older version of Ubuntu so that it had the packages and all that I needed. So long story on that is my access points are now working. Um... I don't have <clears throat> I don't have the networks isolated yet because that's a whole nother lesson in the routers and all. Though I am working on my N plus certification slowly, so we'll see how that goes. Um, okay. Which is networking plus through I don't know if that's Cisco. Anyway, um, no CompTIA. CompTIA does the N plus, but uh, in updating that, that also allowed my octoprint to be on a linux version that didn't have something blocking the usb drivers and now octoprint connects to my 3d printer so my 3d printer is working again in okay. that it can communicate it's just having first layer adhesion issues which those are the worst <sighs> i mean they're frustrating just because you're like whoa what? I can't even how, get how? two minutes into a print. I get 30 seconds. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm having second and third layer issues. Like, it'll lay down the first layer, and then it'll just stop feeding stop feeding it through. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, that sun lose stuff was bad about that for me. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really disappointed because I've used this stuff before, and it's that silk gray. It, mm -hmm. looks, it looks fancy. Um, and you I, I had you great success with it last a, time. You kind of have a fix for that that you're working on? Um, I'm just trying with a direct drive and cause my, yeah. And that's a whole separate thing, but it, if you're, is there anything else you did with the hobby? Um, I am emptying out the man cave, uh, in preparation for remodel. Nice. Okay. So that's been, important. And that's long that's not something that takes a couple days uh, a couple minutes no but it also needs to not take too long because currently all my planes and hobby stuff are strewn across my wife's office <laughs> yeah that'll um, get you moving fast and that was perfect timing because she had just ordered in her office chair oh. after years of not using that room for office stuff <laughs> she decided i'm gonna get a chair ordered in and so now i'm gonna use again. that office and lo and behold now my planes are in there. Oh, well, if yeah. that's not going to get you a kick in the butt to get it done, I don't know what would. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah well, this, that's all right. 
this won't be one that I can uh, that I can sit on. That said, uh, the next good. couple episodes may be different sounding for me. Um, I, I just haven't taken down my my desk yet. It's okay. one of the last things in this room to take down. Mm-hmm. And once I do, um, I don't know if I'm going to set my microphone like set this microphone up mm-hmm. for use for recording because I won't have my full setup. Okay. Um, I'll have my desktop taken down and everything. So, um, yeah, well, you'll, we'll have to see. I mean, maybe you could yeah. just direct plug it into a laptop and. Open. I mean, I could. I've done that. Okay. I've carried the setup out to the garage, but the, it's also summertime. Yeah. <laughs> it's hot yeah. out there. August is not not our friend. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, good. Okay. Oh, so let's. So that that was kind of on a whim i almost forgot i ordered it but i ordered a direct drive for my reality ender 3 pro and mm-hmm. it, it, with the anticipation i was really hoping i would get the my goal is to get the needle cutter parts for a new needle cutter head printed so that i can get that up and running and start running running through some of the ideas i've got because uh the printing i don't have a large scale plotter that I can readily use because I'm working from home now. So, but what I can do is take those same ideas and go direct to cut um, with the needle cutter if it only works. So I'm going to get it working is my, my pledge to myself. And to do that, all I had to do is print some parts. But unfortunately my printer is having the problem we just discussed. And, um, but in anticipation of, 3D printing lightweight PLA, one of the suggestions that I got from a lot of things, a lot of people, uh, the, our guest as well as uh, some of the people in our uh, Discord forums, are, recommend that if you're going to print lightweight PLA, to make sure, because there's a lot of, I'll call it flex in the material, um, compressive flex, to get high-quality prints, it's best to do a direct drive. Mm-hmm. You have less flex, right? So you can control the, the conditions far better. Right. So I was like, all right, well, let me, and apparently while I was shopping and doing birthday shopping, I decided to throw that in the cart and when I hit the go yeah, button, it was in there. forgot about it. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about it completely. I didn't realize it was in the cart. I have a, you know, and all of a sudden it comes up. I'm like, oh, look at that. And then I look at it and go, I have no idea how to install this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do. I, I do because I've put the ANET A8. It uses the same system. Um, I just need to double check to make sure that we're not going to have a reverse polarity issue or anything like that. That's going to cause an issue with the board. Um, Cause that's the last thing I want to do, but basically, you know, it's pretty straightforward. You disconnect the belt, you take the old head off and you take, you, you don't have to, you can leave the uh, Bowden tube probably. And you basically disconnect that and you can kind of cinch it up to the side. Cause it's not, it's not going to be in the way, but it's not going to be useful either. Um, and then you, put this new head on and, you know, uh, and then hook up the wires, disconnect the old ones, hook up the new ones in its place. And it should print pretty, pretty much. It's prints the same way. It just, um, the separate motor that pushes the filament through is moved directly onto the head. So you Mm -hmm. have more mass moving left and right. It creates more vibrations, but if you have a solid machine that doesn't have any wiggle and it's sitting on a solid surface that isn't going to shift, like a lightweight table is going to kind of rock a little bit. But if you have something that weighs a lot, a lot of people recommend putting um, putting your printer on like a 12 by 12 concrete patio block. 
um, one okay. of those slate slate looking blocks. At yeah. The mass in it will stop vibrations translating. Um, it'll dampen it a lot, so it'll print a lot better. So that's one of the recommendations, and I've uh, done that actually, and uh, with the one printer, and it actually did help a lot. So um, anyway, so that's there, but it's. Uh, I had other projects I was eager to get into. They were the birthday project. So um, <laughs> that was not on my list of to-dos this week uh, or, or last. So I'm going to get to it. Uh, it came in this past week. So I'm, I'm going to get to it next week. And so maybe we'll have success and a lot of uh, other interesting things to talk about next time uh, with regards to that kind of stuff. But as it was my birthday week and I ordered a couple things, the Radio Link uh, Prime Day had the Radio Link A560, which is like a acrobatic plane with uh, geo uh, gyro assist. It has like a, a hang from the prop mode that once you put it in there, it just it'll hang literally just hang from the prop. It was pretty oh, cool. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> do it um, itself. What was that? It'll do it itself. It sort of. It's, I, I have a little video of that. That was the first flight. I was like, if everybody said it's going to be easy, I'm going to see how easy this really is. And it's not that easy. It took me about eight or so attempts to get a couple, you know, like five seconds of hover. Um, but I did find success, and I haven't brought it out to the field to give it just a general fly. But it's a 3D flyer, so it's basically two plates at 90 degrees from each other. Um, and it's set up to do, you know, ridiculous things, um, much like uh, some of our some of our favorite discorders uh, like to do, like Oliver. Um, so it's a, the idea is that it's kind of a trainer plane. It's not your first one, but it might be your first acrobatic plane. Um, right. So I picked that up, knowing that that was kind of the direction I wanted to go. I also have um, the one that Oliver recommended, so that'll that'll be on my build plate for. <clears throat> next couple of weeks um i built the carbon falcon that's been in a tube that i brought to flight fest Let, and back hey let's rewind for a second on that i i recognize that it's a i guess ready to fly kit yeah it's um, yeah it's a very small assembly and it has all the all the parts including a transmitter right and so electronics it looks like what kind of batteries are those uh, eight, they're 1,002 cells, I think. Okay. They're, they're small. Just, they're really small. I'm looking at that price tag. Um, yeah. They have like, ex- they have like 50 bucks for off. what it is. Yeah, well, they have 50 bucks off on Prime Day. Well, sure. Still right. $170. It's still a heck of a lot less than it is. Uh, the, the other planes are 100 There's no assist, and I'm likely to crash it a lot and break it. This I'm hoping it'll be a lot less. I mean, that's let's let's hear what it. You know, there's a lot of hype around it. Not a lot of hype, but it seems based on the advertisements that it's like, oh, it'll be easy, it'll be great. You'll learn so much, it'll be quick. You're gonna have a great time. And so I'm curious to see how well it lives up to. And you know me, you know my track record is fantastic. So, um, mm. uh, anyway, so uh, I got that together it went together super quick uh and i gave it a a bunch of uh tests to figure out how to do the hovering thing out in the back and i I managed to have a little bit of success so there's definitely a lot of fun to give it a try it's really durable um the landing gear gave more bounces than anything um the the foam it's it's almost like that uh the craft foam 
that you get at the craft store. Um, just really thick, so it doesn't flex as much. Okay. It's a weird kind of mushy, soft-feeling foam. It's really... How it holds its shape is kind of beyond me. But it, it's well put together, and you know, when it's all done, it's easy to take apart. It's easy to put together, so... Uh, I'm eager to kind of get out and do some more with it, but I had some other things going on. So that was one of the first things. Um, I also had the Carbon Falcon, which was a kit that I got from Aloft Hobby. It was a recommendation from uh, one of, uh, I'll call it my forum buddies. He has one that he got in a giant like lot from one of his buddies. Uh, I guess he, he got like, hey, I'm leaving the hobby because I'm older and I'm not doing this again. So here, here's a bunch of stuff. And then in that bunch of stuff, and he gave, oh, wait, you you do stuff with uh, kids? Here's some more stuff. So he, is like, <laughs> and he had like a pile of like you know 40 planes or something like that. It was crazy. This Carbon Falcon was in it. And he said, he, he's like, I love it. And it has a prandled action. So it literally warps the ends of the wings. To do I thought the, I was seeing some of that. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And it is really cool. Um, it is also a flying wing. So that's pretty touchy. Like, like I can't get it to fly right yet, and I've already busted it. Apparently, I need to go get a bunch of carbon fiber again. Um, really disappointed in that, that I couldn't get it at least flying a little bit before uh, I got it going. But the, the kit was kind of a lot of fun to put together. It's pretty well done. There's I have the same kind of gripe that he had, which is the mechanism to put the uh, kite sails. It's basically a glider, like a hang glider kind of material kite kite sail ripstop nylon and it's these little like tabs and there's almost like you know little braces the rubber bands that go on the braces yeah they're basically a bunch of those and that's how you attach it to the carbon fiber frame okay which is really finicky and all the all the stuff is 3d printed connectors which is really cool and they're well done they're well printed um i thought that they would start falling apart and they've, they've held up to um, some of its TPU and flexible, and some of it is uh, solid. And, and it, again, it does a really good job. So I'm pleased with the kit in general, other than it being really difficult to get into the air successfully. Um, and now, admittedly, I took the first attempt out there. I forgot to look at um, uh, throw setups. So uh, the second time I went out and I... I read the read the rules. I went out and I kind of adjusted it, and I, I came really close, but not before I I ended up basically going way up in the air, doing a hard loop and trying to pull out of it, and instead just let it go straight into the ground. Uh, and that kind of busted nice the. Uh, I think the tubes are already a little damaged, and they definitely cracked in half. So I need to find a way to replace those. Um. Yeah. I got the buddy box working. I took my four in one exterior module. So I updated my TS, uh, my op OpenTX jumper T16. I updated that to the latest uh, OpenTX setup. And then, which was cool. I was like, okay, good. I learned how to do that. That's really pretty easy. Update the firmware, you do the thing. And then I went, uh, I, and then uh, Amy wanted to fly, and I wanted to have a buddy box this time, right? So I'm like, well, I've got a four in one module. It's really easy. Um, this, the formal module will connect to yours. It'll act like a receiver, pass that through to mine, which will connect to your plane and then we'll have a good time. Right. And then I put in the buddy box and, or, or that, that form one module in the back, which is the one that came with the T16 originally. 
and it needed to be updated. And I didn't know how to do that. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so I, in short order, I, I took a moment and figured out how to do that, got that working. I found success with that, which was great. It's something I wanted to do to have ready for when my kids come home anyway. So I was really excited to have it ready. That worked well. Um, it didn't work well enough to save Amy's plane, but we can get to that in a second. Um, yeah, I'm trying to, I also updated, uh, I have a couple ELRS, uh, 2.4 gigahertz modules. So I then downloaded the two, let's see the ELRS Lewis script, which allows me to connect and basically talk to the box module on the back. So I took out the four in one module. I put in the ELRS 2.4 gigahertz module in the back. I updated the firmware on that and learned to flash that. And I did it to both modules. One of the things, as a side note, they don't really mention. I think they just assume that you kind of will. Make sure you you are in a model that has the Crossfire external module turned on. Otherwise, the, the Lua script doesn't have anything to talk to because it hasn't turned it on. Okay. It seems stupid. <laughs> it seems like, well, duh. But when you're trying to go back and forth and turn things on and off, I ended up basically bricking both of them and having to, to directly connect and use the UART directly connecting to the board of each one of those to connect. Now, there's a way you're supposed to do it through Wi-Fi, and you can, and I did later, but not before I did it wrong. All right, back up, because I'm not tracking... You bricked the receiver? There's a box module. It's a transmitter module. It okay. basically takes the inputs from your from your transmitter. Yeah, it's like the 4-in-1 module. Turns the protocol into Crossfire ELRS protocol and sends it out. Right? That's okay. essentially what it does. Um, but you have to update the firmware in the box. And you can you can do it through connecting... You can do it by basically updating your SD card. You're using the Lua script to basically download it. It also has a Wi-Fi, and you can connect to Wi-Fi and update it that way, which did not work for me. I mean, it did a couple times, but it didn't successfully update because the boxes I bought were a little while back, and um, I wanted to go – my OpenTX was 3.3.0, and if you were going directly from an older module and trying to go up to that 3.3.0 through the script stuff, it won't put, it doesn't has a partition error thing and you have to go download a partition thing and have it basically fix that. And then you can download it. And anyway, so what I ended up having to do is one of the bypasses, if that stuff isn't working, you can just hook it directly into your computer with a USB or, um, yeah, yeah, one of the modules I had to open it up, but basically it has a USB connector and you basically hook it up that way. Use it, use the ELRS configurator and that basically builds the file for your external module and for the, for the setup for ELRS, uh, for the open text that you're using. And, you know, you set up the pass, the passphrase, um, the, uh, the information for your Wi-Fi so it can connect. And then you can connect to each other through Wi-Fi and a couple other things that you set up. It basically builds that file so it's part of the program. And then when you upload it or flash it, 
to your box, the exterior box, it updates the information. Yeah. And I'm then it's ready to, to use. Then you can basically connect to a Wi-Fi receiver or an, an ELRS receiver module. And then uh, there's a there's a different way you basically flash, use the module to flash the firmware to an updated firmware that's matching because you have to have the ELRS uh, like if it's 3.0 or 3.3, the receiver module has to have at least 3.0 or higher, right? If you have two, uh, version two on your uh, your ELRS exterior module on the box, the receiver has to have a two two point something, and then they'll talk. Okay. But the, but the main levels 1.0, 2.0, or 3.0 only talk to the same level on the receiver side. I'm trying to figure out what you bricked and how. As I was trying to update the ELRS transmitter module that, okay. that clips into the back, um, I was doing it through Wi-Fi. And you basically build the thing, you connect it to Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi recognizes it, and it says, and you go to a special web page, 10.0.0.1, and it brings up a page and says, hey, we see each other. Uh, this is the module you've got. You want to upload here, pick the file you want to upload and hit go and we'll send it to the, the transmitter box and it will update the firmware. And you hit it and it says, oh, I don't know how to do that. It didn't work. And then basically I thought it was hanging up and it might've been continuing. It took a while. I waited a while. And then uh, I guess I either powered it down or whatever. And because I bricked, I stopped it somewhere in the middle of writing firmware, it then didn't know how to even talk to it. So I couldn't use the Wi-Fi anymore because the okay. program didn't have all the right stuff to be able to talk Wi-Fi. But when I plugged in directly to the USB, it says, hey, you want to put this stuff over there? Cool, do it. And it, you just send it. Okay, so the good news is you corrupted it, not absolutely bricked it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they call it they call it bricking if you look at the the videos and stuff. So, but you're right; it's not a brick the, the way you you like. That's basically screwing up the whole board. Yeah, <laughs> you can't use it. Period. <laughs> and that's what I was worried that I had done, but I managed to get both of them working, which is awesome. Um, I also figured out if you go into the 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 build file and open it up as a text file. The very first line has a descriptor in the top, and they're all described as Express LRS, which is useless if you have a Betaflight model or a Happy model or a Radio Link ELRS module. Like if you've got multiple bays, like like things in the back, it, they they only like the you have to use the Lua script that matches the the make and model of the box you put in the back transmitter mm. box so if you have a happy model version of elrs you can only load the lua script that goes to the happy model so you have to change the label so in the very top line if you open it up as a text file using like notepad you can change express lrs and put like a dash hm or like i i did hm or beta fpv so bfpv and then in my lua script list it uses that top label as the label that you select. So that way you know which ELRS module your script you're, you're using. 
Okay. So when I have the Betaflight ELRS module transmitter box in the back, I go to my Lewis script and pick the Express LRS dash, you know, BFPV. And that's the one that goes with that. If I pick the other one, it won't know what to how to talk to it because it's a different make. Right. Okay. So again, the, it's a lot of complexity. Issue, what but, you're saying is the issue is all the Lewis scripts just say Express LRS. Exactly. You're when you build it, way to edit it so yeah. that it says Express LRS dash the model that you're using if you're using right that way models. you that way you can grab the right one when you plug okay. in that box in the back. So okay. if you have more than one module, I guess most people just have one. I don't know. I don't know that I believe that, really. Um, but I, what ended up happening is I got both of the boxes working. And so I'm almost to the point where I'm going to copy that SD card. I'm going to bring out, I've, I've got the other um, uh, Radio Master, and I'm going to update that OpenTX with all the new stuff so it should have both models. That way we can have um, BuddyBox and... Express LRS and stuff like that going between both the transmitters. So that way when Logan can, Logan and Quinn come back from their mothers, we can go flying and there'll be transmitters ready to go. That's the long story of, hey, I'm just getting a bunch of transmitters ready to go buddy box and, and have my kids fly with me. Well, speaking of buddy box, uh, my Turnigy 9X suddenly started working again. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing you did, right? Yeah. yeah. You just said, hey, it's working. I remember that. No idea what I did. I just went <laughs> through all the menus and flipped a bunch of options and put them back. And all of a sudden it goes, hey, I'm working, by the way. And I just, I will strangle <laughs> you. <laughs> well, the, but the good news is it is working. And sure, now you, until now it decides you, to quit again. Well, hopefully it won't. Um, and then the, the goal, I guess, is then to set it up with a buddy box. So you're ready to go whenever. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it was set up as Buddy Box. Well, then you should be ready to go now, again. Sure, until it decides to quit working when I go out <laughs> to the field again. Oh my God! Yeah, oh, <sighs> that's the frustrating part about some of this stuff. Maybe you really have to go into some of the weed weeds in it. I'll tell you what. Uh, using there's a number of good videos out there. I know Joshua, uh, Josh Bardwell's stuff is. Not the shortest, but it's thorough. Um, and honestly, the Express LRS Wiki does a really good. I mean, they they you just click on the on the left is a list of um, Express LRS transmitter modules, and you just click on the one you have, and it will go through step by step on how to get it running, and how to get your transmitter to talk to it. So, your OpenTX transmitter to talk to it. So that'll be good. Um, so kudos to them. They did a really good job of that. That, that was a big help. Bless you. Thank you. Um, I got the piranha. I got a the nut that was missing on the back of the of the motor. I ordered the a new one. Piranha. Yeah, yeah, it goes like that. <laughs> um, and it went like that today. I got it, got it going. Got the batteries. Ended up picking a couple extra batteries up from. Because uh, I got a sweet deal on it, which was wonderful. Um, and I also double-checked on how to get Launch Assist working, and that, and that was just, it worked every time I tried it. So I was not having issues with that, which is great. Um, and I went out there today. And I went out, and the only thing I had in there was um, an S-Bus through my old Radiolink transmitter. 
which again, I've never really had any issues with. I've flown it a couple times with the Piranha and it's working out great. I, for whatever reason, I could not get the S bus that goes with the uh, FlySky IA, was it I6B or I6A or whatever, whatever the, the, the little modules that we have. I could not get the S bus to talk to the Aura board in the Piranha. So I could not connect it up with my OpenTX system. Okay. Which was disappointing. So I had to go and revert back to the the one that was in there, which was the S bus that was through Radio Link. It's a little tiny square. Works great, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Um, I threw it in the air and it flew and it flew pretty good. It was doing some weird things. And I don't know how much of that was the like the the Aura board. It generally did pretty good. Everything was going you know, again, it was going fast and I was, you know, kind of getting a feel for it again, seeing if like maybe there was some sort of trim issues or maybe I didn't double check the the CG, but it seemed to be flying fine. And then um, then all of a sudden the motor stops. Transmitter conversation stops. And it is going slowly, like a slightly negative elevation, it perfectly level. Like the warboard did its thing and leveled everything out right before. Right. And it just went like a missile straight to the houses at the very front of the development. Cause that's where I was. I was coming around the front of the, of the entrance road and it's just going like a missile and I can't do anything about it. And then I, I get contact back and all of a sudden I start, you know, cause I'm using the extremes trying to see if I can get a, get a slight reaction or something. And boy, do I, and it starts to basically <laughs> r- roll at a super fast rate. And I'm trying to get out of that, but it's not fully responding. And it darts <laughs> into <laughs> the ground <laughs> on the front lawn, right next to the road in the house is very at the very front. Mm. And it busts the, the balsa tray. It messes up the center foam section it pops off the top two pieces of foam that, that are the cover. Um, I mean, everything else works great, though. It literally was, I could have put it back in the air if the fuselage was okay. But, um, yeah, yeah I don't know what the heck. Some that, repair work on that. I think I'm just going to order a new center section, see how much that costs. Actually, I should probably check on that a little, little later. Um, but it was really disappointing because I really like that plane. Everything else was working great on it. So um, so that may be the end of the Prania. I'm not sure. Because if it is, I'm definitely taking all the systems out of that and building a whole new plane. <laughs> <laughs> and seeing what I can do with it. Uh, not um, as a Prania, but as something different. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, I hope, hopefully I can kind of get it working again. I really like that plane. Uh, I want to do more with it. Um, I got the Vampire together. Yeah, this, this was the let's get it done. Um, I took all the pieces to the vampire and said, you know, it's a, today's the day. I'm going to get it done. And I put it together and I put battery in it. And I balanced it and everything works great. And the canopy looks wonderful. And I flew it. Um, I'm trying to remember when I was out of the field, everything. Oh, I know what it was. <laughs> um, I thought I had mounted the ESC. I put double stick tape. I put the Velcro on the thing. I tacked it onto the foam. It felt pretty solid. And I went to hand launch. And when I hand launched, I heard a thud. I'm like, okay, that's not good. Right. 
but everything else was going pretty well. So I flew it around and things, you know, again, it, the, the vampire flies great by the way. Um, and then it sucked the ESC battery leads. No, two of the, was it two of this? I think it was the battery leads in through the EDF slowly, slowly. So as not to bust the EDF EDF was hauling fine, but it slowly but surely ate through both of those motor wires to the point where there was no power to the motor. Huh? Actually, no, it must've been on, it must've been on the motor wire set. Two of the motor wires got eaten through almost completely. There was basically the wire was gone. The, the uh, silicone around it was the only thing holding them together in, in like a, you know, a single piece, right? It's just the silicone. But, but it's so it stopped the motor completely. And, but I still had power. And so I was able to bring it softly into the beans. Um, and the good news is it, it flies really good. Uh, so I was able to resolder those back on and get it out to a different field. So then I went to the park. We happened to be over at the ball field. Did you know what, what's in a ball field? Lots of poles. Ball, balls? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lots of poles, some tall pine trees, a lot of like short bushy trees. You know what bushy uh -huh. trees do? They obstruct uh, your vision a lot. Yeah. So, so I I launched it, and there was like a vector that I could I could kind of go straight out, and over top of the main section of the like there's a football field next to it, and like a, um, uh, like a pavilion area where people would sit and listen to music or something, right? So it's a big kind of open space. <clears throat> and this to say the vampire doesn't go slow. It goes fast. And I, it really doesn't have, it does slow down, but it really likes to go fast. So I was flying it way, way up high so I could see it as I zoomed it around. But as I was coming in, um, I, I thought I was lining it up and I thought, Oh no, I think this is going straight for the light pole. So I kind of did evasive maneuvers and I, it's a, a bank and yank. So there's no rudder to kind of shift that. Um, and I kind of doinked it into the ground. That's the second time I landed. Like I landed the first time. It, everything looked good. Everything went well. And so I gave it another go and it flew around for a lot longer. Um, Amy's got some footage that I'm going to use and I'm going to put up um, in, in a little while uh, when she shares it with me. I think she already has, but I haven't pulled it down. But it flew really well. I Honestly, I really like the bird. Um, but when it landed, because I doinked it, um, it's kind of scuffed up the nose, and it uh, busted one of the joints on the boom. So I'm going to have to do some re-gluing. Um, but that was really cool. It was actually neat to be able to get it all together and fly in one piece. It's got plenty of power. I'm really excited about it. Mm. And with that, I also brought out Tony the Explorer. Again, because I'm like, i got to figure out what's wrong with this. This is the kind of like shut up or, or uh, get out kind of, you know, say your piece or get out kind of deal. And I love Tony because I love how it looks, but I remember it never really flew terribly well. Like it did. Right. And then something happened, like maybe a bad landing and that doesn't really fly so good. And I'm trying to figure out why. Um, and when I launched it, everything, it flew pretty good, but I had to do almost full up elevator. I had like, you know, a quarter of the quarter of the way down the st or halfway down the stick was my neutral point. And it was flying not strong, you know, it was like it was a weak flyer, which really stinks. So 
Um, I think I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do some things that I might replace the motor. Um, and I, yeah, I think if I replace the motor for something a little bit faster, the, the prop will give the proper thrust. And, um, I think I might also change the angle, uh, of the elevator just a little bit. I think that might help a lot. Um, oh, I know what it was. I was going to change the angle of incident on the wing. I was going to put a little, uh, like pencil or something in the front and lift the front edge up a couple degrees. I think that'll make okay. a big difference. Um, let's see. Printer, uh, I flew the arrow 6S, uh, basically an FT arrow. I put uh, two three cell batteries in it and had a one of those little quadcopter motors that runs on 6S and it runs like stink. Um, I flew it and it flew and it was on my birthday. And it flew straight out and it went fast because that's what it's supposed to do. And it also was really hazy that day. And the top of the arrow looks kind of grayish when all the colors kind of blend. And it I matches see where this is going. Exactly. Yeah. It matches exactly the haze that was going in the sky that day. So needless to say, I lost it literally as it's just flying out. And I, I can't see it. And I, you know, I, I wiggle the sticks and I move it around and I am able to catch the bottom of it, but much like the, I really need to find a different method of discovering what's going on with my plane because, um, it basically started to nose down and I did a roll as rolling spiral down into the ground and I tried to pull it up and I did, I, I pulled and I, I was able to recover it a little bit, but, uh, I was not able to pull it out of the beans and it managed to land in the beans. Now. If you remember right, the same beans ate the eight-foot plane of the, the sorcerer. Remember the sorcerer? Uh, and I, I basically lost it. it. It, like, kind of circled around behind me, and I lost it in the beans somewhere in the middle of the field. And it was, you know, chest high or so, which is okay. what it is now in, in the fields. This is about a year ago. The sorcerer is an eight-foot wingspan plane, eight by one foot, and it landed in the beans pretty gentle and it sucked that plane completely up i could not find it i used fpv i did loops and circles and whatever i tried everything i knew how i combed the beans for a while couldn't find it so fast forward to now where the arrow goes out into the beans and we're talking out this is out to the stanchion in the middle of the field where the the thing does the circle and waters yeah. the crops it's out that far if not further Oof. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm never going to find this thing. But I have a solid line. Like, I have the line. So I run the line out. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, no, this is my birthday. This sucks. <laughs> this is not what I wanted on my birthday. And I'm, I'm going along, and I'm, like, out at the stanchion, the, the, again, the middle pivot point. And I'm like, geez, please. And it's a little shorter, so I'm like, maybe I have a chance. I'm like, I don't have a chance. These beans, I can't even see my feet when I'm walking through it. Like, <laughs> it, it's a complete solid canopy as far as you can see. And I'm like, man, I'm never going to. And then I, and I'm, I'm moving the sticks. I'm like, the battery's not in the thing. I'm never going to be able to hear anything. And I hear beep, beep. Is it? Oh no. And I went back. I, I went back and then I put my transmitter down. I'm like, you know what? I owe that plane one more chance. It's my birthday. I have nothing else going on anyway. I mean, I do, I have something to do, but like, this is what I came here to do. I'd be really sad if I don't give it another shot. So I've run out that line and I just keep going. 
I didn't have my transmitters off and it's back. And as I'm out at basically that st- spot, I turned around and went home, you know, went back to the, to the main, uh, to the origin, uh, where all the stuff is. Um, I'm, I'm back out of the pivot and I hear beep, beep. I'm like, Oh, Oh my God. And then I'm moving like my head back and forth like a dog. <laughs> huh? Left, right? No, left, right? Yeah, forward, forward. No, a little bit left, a little bit left. And so I, I follow the beeping of the powered up, you know, ESC that has no signal all the way to the to the plane. And I recovered the whole thing. Nice. <laughs> Which was like, yay! It was like a birthday miracle. I was so happy with myself. <laughs> <laughs> um and then I think the last part I'll call of the birthday extravaganza, I was watching a video and this is, don't do this. Don't have a credit card in hand while watching a video about fun things. Um, <laughs> I, I ordered a Flywoo Firefly V2. And the comment that Josh Bardwell had on that was, I love these little things. They're like, it's like opening up my matchbox. They're tiny. They're basically the size of a, of a, uh, of a tiny wolf, basically a little bit bigger, but not much. And it's a, like 1102 brushed motors. They're about the same size props, but it has power, power enough to be outside and be able to fly pretty well. And that's what I liked about it. Like it's small enough where you could probably do it inside. Um, but most importantly that, that you could go outside with it and have fun. And there's a couple other, and it flies on a one S battery. I was like, cool. You know what? I'm going to do it. And so I ordered it and I ordered the batteries. What I didn't order was the charger for the new, they have a new connector now that looks like a XC30, but really tiny. I think it's called a BT2 or something. I guess it has two amps that allows uh, to go through the battery. But so I, I bought it and they finally all came together today. Um, and that was part of the reason why I wanted to get the ALRS in there because it has an ALRS module to connect. So I'm like, well, I've got the boxes. It's time to get this done. So I finally connected that, got that set up. I connected to the um, to the little quadcopter. I got the batteries, finally got the charger in, so I was able to charge all the batteries. So today I went through four different batteries and basically did loops around my house, well, circuits around my house. Nice. And got it caught in bushes and trees and grass. It, if it gets caught in the grass, it's not coming out of the grass. It just kind of sits there. Um, cause it's not big enough, like a five inch quad kind of sits on top of the grass. Right. And the motors are powerful enough, but this little guy doesn't, you know, it, it isn't powerful enough, but I was able to recover it every time. And I was able to recover all the props when they spun off. When I, when I did a, try to get it out of the grass, the, it would basically spin out the, the prop. Mm. So that, that's the one I'll call it a gripe of mine about it is that the, you know, the props don't really kind of stay on. They just kind of. If, if it's down and you spin up the motor, it'll probably spin off the prop. Um, and then when you're doing that FPV, you really can't see exactly where it is. So you can't tell if you can you know flip over or not. But there's a couple times I recovered it, and I had a lot of fun doing circuits around the house. Um, the FPV in the backyard, which is I was doing it out of the back porch, was awesome. Like as it zipped past, it was great. And then it would go around the house, which is made of a lead box, I'm pretty sure. Um, and that, so the, the signal got a little iffy, but I was able to go around the house, which is fine. So I'm looking forward to going out front and doing something similar and seeing what, what kind of reception I get there. And I want to be, you know, fly it down the street and stuff like that. Um, 
And it's again, it's like a not even 100 grams soaking wet. So it does not fall in to remote ID. There you go. Um, yeah, otherwise it was a, a lot of fun to be able to fly that and get that solid. My goal is um, to be able to fly um, quadcopters well and to be able to confidently fly them. Right now, I, I just stuck to horizon mode today. so I wasn't doing anything fancy. I, I'm not passing any judgment. Um, yeah, that's... It's still pretty hard because you first thing you got to do is uh, master the uh, throttle management so that you can keep at a fairly fairly steady elevation. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to have that go wrong <laughs> pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think last and the last thing was part of the things we did in the hobby was we started. <laughs> I, I basically ended right after we finished um, the last podcast. And we just started talking about the Flight Fest 24 ideas, which is like the disc shooter stuff. And my brain started going crazy on that. Um, but there were a lot of other ideas that kind of came up. Um, there's one of the, you know, one, one suggestion was to do like a tailspin theme and basically have the the big thing that we build being the the Iron Vulture, which is basically the big blimp thing. And then it, okay. has, a, it has aircraft carrier on the top. So like planes land in it and they come out the front. The beak opens and it comes out the front. So oh, similar theme, man. but it's it's themed with tailspin, I guess. So um I, the other, what I don't even know how we'd approach one of those projects. Oh, I got ideas. Um that one would probably be mostly helium balloon. You know what I mean? <laughs> and mm-hmm. then a, a bunch of other things going on. There'd, there'd be vertical props. They'd basically be in full hover mode. And then there'll be a couple pusher props. And so it's kind of like pushing around real slow like a blimp. And then the other ones would just assist and keeping it in the air. That's all. Um, I I don't know. We'll have to see about that one. That one's kind of on the far-fetched end. Uh, Another one had to do with basically um, create a bunch of flying circles and do some sort of olympic theme stuff because the Olympics will be going on at at that same time. I don't know. Uh, That didn't get fleshed out too much, but it's an idea. And I'm curious to see if somebody has ideas on how that might turn into a flying extravaganza. I don't know, maybe like a pole vaulter with wings. Um, a what? Pole vaulter. Oh, okay. I don't know. Just thinking. Um, uh, another one was under the sea. And basically, you do you know those profile? There's profile fish. Um, they're basically little, you know, two two boards, one horizontal, one vertical. And they're they're big profile and they look like fish. Um, I had I don't, but I can imagine. Um, yeah, you look up uh, Nemo RC plane and you'll see. Or is it Mimo? I think officially Hobby King called it something different. It's not Dory because they can't call it Dory. It's like Dony or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they've got Dory and Nemo. And Nemo costs ten dollars more because it's more popular, I guess. Um. But we could do stuff like that. That's easy to do on a foam board and have a ton of those. Um, but then there's, of course, something a little bit more complex. We could get a bunch of sharks. We could make a big floaty thing that looks like a whale. And that that's where, the, where planes would land on or so. I don't know. Um, uh, there, there's a flying sea turtle we saw the one year, two years ago. We could create a couple of those. Um, and then another one would be like a big... Um, a big helium balloon that acts like a sea, um, 
what is it, a jellyfish okay. and doing something like that. That'd be a lot of fun. So th- those are the, on top of the disc shooter idea. Those were, um, those are the kind of big concepts. And we're curious, I, I don't know about you, but I'm curious to see, you know, which ones you guys would prefer. If you can, you know, we'll put a link to the Discord. If you haven't joined our Discord, join it. We have a category at the bottom of our list called Flight Fest 2024 Big Build Ideas. We'd love to have you come down there and share your ideas and so that we as a community can kind of come together and make some really cool, um, just a lot of fun stuff for Flight Fest next year. I think, I mean, there's a lot going on for me. This last couple of weeks has been crazy busy. I've I've been busy just in other ways, yeah. No, I know you have, but no, I mean, no, for no, for I'm me, saying, it was like it yeah. was all hobby all the time. Like <laughs> I was I'm kind of jealous on that front. Yeah, man. I I don't know. Uh, I kicked it in the high gear this past couple of weeks. <laughs> next next couple of weeks, it'll probably be I cleaned the room, you know, which is still hobby stuff, but it won't be yielding a lot of fun. Not until later, at least. Anyway. Okay. And uh, well, do you want to you want to take care of this one? Uh, yeah, um, we could do that. I'm, uh, it's basically it's a big. I'd like you to do it honestly, because I'm about to talk about remote ID for like the next twenty four hours here. <laughs> please, please spare me a minute. Well, first off, we want to thank our patrons uh, who continue to support us and help keep the lights on uh, every month. So we can keep coming back and doing this. And honestly, you know, what what's being used there is for the website. So we have the website up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a few people that are uh, signed up and give every month. And we greatly appreciate that. Yeah, thank uh, you guys. What we would ask, and this is difficult for Matt and I to do, what we would ask, because uh, we we've always wanted this to be available and free and not you know required for anything so there's still no requirement here um but if you find value in what we're doing uh here as a podcast head on over to the patreon uh sign up for a dollar a month you know that's that's the only tier that we even have set up it's less than a a month go ahead less than half a cup of coffee Less than half a cup of coffee. Unless you're Less McDonald's. than half of a large drink. Yeah. Exactly. From McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no. Uh, for so for what we do. Yeah, where, um, where would they go? Patreon.com slash aviation RC noob. We'll have that down in the description. I don't want to harp on that too much because no. I we just you know, we really appreciate it. Yeah. And, and we appreciate you listening. Who would go and sign up for that? Uh, <clears throat> nudge, nudge each and every one of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, really honestly, you thank you as for, well. to, as we say in the end, we really do appreciate everybody who tunes in and listens to the podcast. It really kind of fuels some of this nonsense. <laughs> fuels a lot of yeah. the fire. So yes. we appreciate it. And we have folks that, that support us through Patreon. We have folks who support us through other means, um, mm-hmm. you know, We've had motor set. We've had um, tools. I think uh, mm-hmm. the guy sense. sent you a box of tools. Uh, I think was it Lee? Yeah, it was Lee from uh, with Windcatcher. Yep. sent you some stuff. So yep, he sent us some some goodies. It was cool. Yeah. 
So um, that's a little awkward, guys. It's just awkward to talk about for us. Yeah, really. It's, it's okay, though. But uh, so let's get back onto the main topic. Uh, thank you, Joe, for doing that. I know it's not the easiest yeah. thing to do. Um, and let's take a second for the moment of ending so I can go refill my water. Cup. All right, I'll go get something to drink, too, because I'm parched. All right, we're back. <laughs> Remote ID. Uh, okay. Yeah, not not my favorite topic. No, um, it's not the best topic, but I mean, it's it's what it's going to be. It's just what it is. And I think we well, just kind of have to... Well, a $50 one. Mm, not really. You're going to tell me why that's not a good I one. will. I will tell you all about it. All right, so... so strap in, folks. Here we go. Yeah, and there, there's a couple <laughs> other units in there that I've seen that were $40, to $39 or $49 or whatever, but... Yeah, you'll you'll see why in just a minute. But let's talk about why remote ID is such a hot topic right now. Um, so the FAA did their, uh, uh, was it notification of, uh, was it NPRM, uh, notice of proposed rulemaking, right? They did that a while back. We talked about it at the very beginning of the whole podcast. That's yeah, kind of when they started like doing Right when we were getting started. Yeah, right is when we got started and we didn't want to make big stink about the whole thing but it was important and then they had a whole year this whole time there's comments there's reviews all that stuff and then basically everybody's like oh they listen to us and ama's touting about how how amazing the relationship the faa has and every time they've said oh yeah we'll we'll fix it and this is for now you know yeah we're mm -hmm. not we we won't be able to do this right now you know we we won't collect anybody's data right now is all the responses were all the responses were we'll absolutely do those couple things that we're okay with doing for now because later we're getting that stuff we're definitely doing it you know we have a thing we're going to do right now it's not feasible so we'll work with you but all of those things had the caveat of we'll fix that for you for now you know but but when it's possible to do the thing we want guess what we're doing we're doing the mm. thing we want to do. In the meantime, they have um, basically the rules that were proposed and are now into law or as part of the regulation is that uh, since December last year, um, manufacturers have been required to put on all of their um, complete package stuff remote ID units. They had to have a way baked in that couldn't be tampered with of providing remote ID services from their products. Anything that was um, all in one or inclusive packages. So that's pretty much like a DJI drone kind of product or Horizon Hobby ready to fly where it has the battery, the transmitter, the receiver, the, the plane, all the control stuff, all of it's ready. Yeah, that, those kind of planes need remote ID. And it, it basically is mandated by the FAA that those manufacturers have that system baked in and ready to use. And the second caveat was basically a year later from the original date, which was September 16th, 2022. And so now it's September 16th, 2023. Recreational users are will also be required to provide, to do to comply with the regulations of having remote ID in a, a couple fashions. 
there's three three main rules. It has to be either under or 255 grams or under, right? Two sticks of butter. That's what, what it was. Some when we get into the French ballistics expert in 19 in 1850 who came up with that rule. But 250 grams. Um, basically, if it's under that, then you are exempt from the requirement. It could also, if you fly in a federally recognized uh, identification area, which are basically static locations that provide um, a proximity. It basically says if you're in this area and you're flying here, you do not need remote ID because they are already identified by the FAA as an area that has, you know, uh, UAS operations, which is the unmanned aerial system operations. Okay. Or SUAS. I can't remember. They, they, they went back and forth on what they called it over the, over the regulation period. Um, so, and then the last one was if you cannot be in a FRIA or under 250 grams, you must provide a remote identification unit, which basically is a module and the requirement is that the module basically transmits uh, a set of information that provides the information of where the craft is and its information of like where it is in space, as well as the location of the transmitting unit. So basically where the controller is and information about who that controller is. So their name and their, I uh, believe their home address. I'm not sure if the home address is associated with it, but definitely where they are currently standing during mm -hmm. the operations. And those things basically need to be transmitted out to a certain distance, and they'd have to use a Bluetooth method, I believe, is uh, part of how the regulations got uh, finalized, at least for these rules. And then that was one of those for now. Um, what they want to do is cellular systems, and that's but they, they basically settled for um, broadcast units. But they wanted everybody to basically connect everything to a cell a cell system and have it transmitted everywhere so they can just collect the data all the time. But because it's not possible in a lot of the G-Class airspaces in the middle of America where there's not cell coverage, really, um, they had to, they had to uh, settle for having Bluetooth um, and, and transmitting capacity, basically a... Um, uh, a broadcast unit. And so one of the states, uh, one of the requirements of that, it says, so on September 16th, recreational flyers will have to affix an FAA-approved remote ID unit in their model aircraft to fly at other, and, and places that are not uh, free of sites. To aid flyers who may uh, want to purchase the module, there's a, and I will put a link to this. Uh, there's a PDF here and it has a whole list. And this is uh, provided, uh, one of the districts in the AMA put this document together and it's, I'll, I'll call it a semi-live document that they'll be updating it as they find more remote ID units. It's basically um, their way to kind of help people comply with the regulations, right? Um, so there will be a list of uh, declaration of compliance uh, web pages for the different modules. Uh, the report, um, the report that I'm going to kind of review, um, it, again, I was putting this together and then somebody had already done a, a far more thorough job than I would have for you guys. So I think this is a boon for everybody. It, it allows, uh, let's see, 
everybody to kind of, the, the chart allows you to kind of go through all the different remote ID units that are available and kind of see what and why. Um, all mo modules listed on there are have met or exceeded the FAA's, um, what is it, Section 89, Part 320, uh, minimum performance requirements, including ASTM F3411-22A standards, which uh, it's basically saying that today's um, GPS or GNSS receiver module chips, um, they, they achieve horizontal positional accuracy between 5 or 10 feet, uh, depending on the unit, and a vertical accuracy of 15, or sorry, 16 feet or less, 95% uh, of the time which exceeds the FAA's horizontal accuracy requirements of 100 feet and vertically accurate, vertical accuracy of 150 feet, 95% of the time, which I had no idea that that was the requirement. That's the FAA's requirement. You have to be somewhere within 100 feet horizontally or 150 feet vertically. Which That's not very accurate. Not also. very accurate at all. I, I'm wondering if they had like an ADSP like the full scale units use that and maybe they were using something like that that may be less accurate because for planes that's you know you just need to be sort of close at, at right. those speeds as long as you can kind of see you you know at least where to look <clears throat> anyway um one of the things you'll notice in the list and i'm not i may not go through all the things but basically um there's a, a lot of price variation you know, there's a range from anywhere between $50 to, was it, $305? And you'll see that it seems like pretty general tiers. Like there's very cheap, you know, the, there's a, like one or two $50 to $100 modules. Then they go to like $125 to $150. And then they have, and it's like oh $250 to $300. <laughs> no, there's $250 to $300. And yeah. so what, what you'll notice is with each one of those, you're basically you're gaining something from that. Uh, one of them is positional accuracy. Uh, another one is weight, weight savings. And, and some of that has to do with if it has a battery on board or not. Right. So if it has a battery, if it's a self-contained unit, that's, you just basically keep it charged and it'll work for certain. And also how long do you want it to stay charged? Right. How much do you want it to transmit? You're also looking at like Bluetooth 4.0 versus 5.0, 5.0, uses a lot less juice to do the same thing that 4.0 does. It's a different kind of... Uh, so those things kind of contribute to um, to the form factor, to the weight, to the, to the pricing specifically. Uh, and what I find interesting is that they indicate um, in this thing, they indicate the battery life, which is pretty good to know. Um, but the that the if you were to purchase the Bluetooth chip, how much that chip that they use costs, and then the GPS chip, and how much that chip costs, and they got those prices from, uh, I think they got it from GitHub, uh, not GitHub. Um, shoot, I'm not gonna be able to find it because I'm looking for it. Right, DigiKey, right. DigiKey, which is basically like a generic, um, well, very specific like retailer of electronic parts. So if you you know you're to buy a bunch from them, this is what you get, and these are the prices. So that's where theirs comes from. What I find interesting is that the individual pieces of it, and the worst case, cost twenty dollars combined. 
Yeah. Right? So the components cost 20 bucks, maybe 25 if you want to add a board and maybe a battery, right? But what they're charging is $300 or $100. And I know why that is. I mean, there's a lot of programming that goes into that. There's a lot of R&D. Nobody sold a unit yet or not too many, you know? Like yeah. they're not they're not producing in mass yet or they're they're getting geared up to but nobody really knows exactly how what kind of market it really is. So Yeah. And so on the <coughs> front end they want to be sure that they can recoup. <coughs> yeah, recoup all the time and energy they've spent getting it ready for market. And w- what I also find interesting is that they also list not only the name of the company in the module but they indicate where they're at. So if you want to be, hey, I want to buy from the U.S. or I want to buy from whatever country you're in, you know, Czech Republic tends to be a big one. There's a couple other European markets. Um, but we'll, we'll get into that. But it's it's in there. That's what I find pretty interesting. But you can tell that, that those seem to be the big identifiers, the big steps are what, what Bluetooth unit it's using and what um, GPS chip it's using. And that, that'll tell you how, you know, how accurate do you really want to be? All are compliant, but, um, well, but they, they don't, they aren't all quite the same. Benefit. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to have a 10 foot plus or minus, or do you want a three foot plus or minus? And that well, has again, to do it's, with, it's not for my benefit that it's being accurate, but it can be. And that's what we'll talk about in a little bit. Don't, don't let me forget that one of the benefits of having these units as part of your system of an RC is that you get our, you get GPS because GPS is part of this. You can use that GPS to do things for you as well as for remote ID. Right. Okay. So we'll get into that. All right. So um, some of the big ones that kind of came out first are you avionics ping RID and they're out of Montana they have a price point of, uh, you know, $300. They're like a, let's see, one by one by almost two inches. Uh, weighs 21 grams. Again, all of these weigh almost nothing. I mean, 32 grams is the heaviest. So, like, if you're looking for, like, 1.5 grams, like, there, there's a, there's one out there for you. And it's basically you're going to use it as part of a an existing bigger system, right? Mm-hmm. But... This remote, you know, that that unit is is just like kind of a board that you add to a, a bigger thing. But if you want a standalone unit, um, that's one of the things. Uh, Ping ID is essentially a, a standalone unit. It's got a USB port. It's got some other connectors for battery. So you can give it uh, uh, long-range stuff. Let's see, 20 grams, USB-C, uh, internal lithium-ion battery. 740 uh, watt hours, uh, milliwatt hours, sorry. Um, and there's some LEDs to kind of indicate what's going on with it. Um, and that unit, like I said, is $300. It's, I think, one of the first ones that came out. Um, it uses Bluetooth 5, and it has the M8Q chip. Now, if I recall right, the M8Q chip is an older GPS unit, the M10 Units are far more accurate. I think they use a lot less power, too. Um, so one of the things is their battery lasts um, about two hours, is what they what they boast, I think. 
Um, one of the next ones on the list, there's a couple of them by Blue, uh, Blue Mark. And let's see, there's three different units. There's a DB-121, DB-120, and DB-122 FPV. And so basically those three, um, they use the same Bluetooth chip. That's a ESP32-C3-WROOM, sorry, WROOM-O2. But but basically, um, they're using different uh, GPS units. The first two are standalone, and they have an uh, ATG M33... M336H, uh, 5N31 unit. They both have that. But the last one, um, the 122 FPV, it doesn't have one. Because it's assuming you're putting it into like um, a quadcopter that already has a flight controller and a GPS unit, and you're just adding remote ID to that. It's going to grab the information from your system and then broadcast it with a Bluetooth unit. Mm. And so that one's that one's relatively cheap. It's seventy six dollars. Weighs four and a half grams. Uh, it's it's one by one uh, one by one inch, um, and it re- you have to power it, so it doesn't have battery, and that powers most uh, up to fifteen volts. So most uh, two, I think it's two to four cell, lipo. Okay. Um, However, and it's using Bluetooth 5, all of them on the, the module is using Bluetooth 5, which basically keeps the power usage down. Um, the DB121, you get power from your whatever you're pulling from, but it, it has a Bluetooth and it has a GPS already in it. So that's the kind of one you'd want to use in your drone, or now your drone in your plane, where you're, you're typically not going to have um, any of that stuff in your system. You're just kind of adding it to it. That's one hundred and twenty or one hundred and eighteen dollars. Weighs eleven grams and it's an inch and a half by an inch and a half. Again, you're gonna have to plug it in your own battery. But if you want to completely standalone, where literally you just charge it up and attach it to whatever you're flying, they have one that has a battery on board and it lasts three hours. And it's similar. That's the one twenty. So one twenty is self-contained. One twenty-one, you have to plug it into the local battery, but it it has all the other. Uh, components for compliance and then the 122 fpv assumes you have all those stuff already in your model and you're just adding the the broadcasting capacity okay mm-hmm. and then so the and that 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 initial standalone is 140 dollars um so that's that's from the netherlands that's blue mark okay um and again we'll have a link to this document and the document has links to all the individual things um I also provided in down below some of the pictures of the individual units. You can see that they vary in size. You know, most of them are still pretty small. I, you'd have a hard time not fitting them in an RC plane. Let's see. Uh, Drone D from United Kingdom has AeroPing. Um, the United Kingdom is kind of following following suit. Um, their uh, well, their FCC or their FAA which I can't remember what, what uh, they're called there. They're kind of following suit. They're going to require something very similar. Uh, it probably will have a different, sli- some slightly different requirements, like what they broadcast, but it's going to be the same kind of deal. It's $160. Um, they don't really have a lot of information on it. It's pretty preliminary. They, they're going to use Bluetooth 5, and they're going to use the ESP32-C3 
Um, inside the W room, it'll be the mini dash one U uh, Bluetooth unit. But it'll produce uh, Bluetooth five. Um, there's no information on the, on the GPS unit, but at $160, I imagine it's going to be like an M8 uh, M8 unit. Um, and then and then you get a to a couple Czech Republic uh, guys. A drone tag has two versions. They have a beacon, and they have a basic. So actually, they have a series of them. There's basically four different ones. Um, there's a basic solution, uh, which is ninety dollars. It comes with the GPS and the Bluetooth unit. It needs to be powered from your battery, and that's from two to four cells. It has three grams with the antenna, and it uses Bluetooth 5.1, so a little bit more efficient. Um, there's DR1. It's being manufactured, again, in Czech Republic. It's by DroneTag. It, um, I just lost the thing. Hold on a second. I clicked on a button. Um, that also is basically one that's going to go into your DR1 is going to go into, uh, a drone. It, it, you use the drone GPS and it has a Bluetooth chip and, and a, a B412, uh, the basic solution in DR1 habit. And it uses Bluetooth 5.1 again, powering from the board or powering from the plane itself. That one's only 40, uh, only $50. That's the cheapest one by far, but you're using the GPS unit that's already in the model. Okay. Mm. So if you want it to be more standalone, it'll be $90. And then if you want to be far more accurate, again, that, that one's using the basic solution uses the M10Q um, GPS unit. So the really accurate one. Um, but if you want to get crazy, um, let's see, the drone tag mini is has an 8 to 16 hour battery. And so it's a pretty big battery. It weighs 32 grams. It's one of the heaviest. It costs $300. And it's a two by one and a half inch um, piece. So it's kind of big. Um, and it uses M8 migrating to MIA M10Q. So they're using a better GPS using Bluetooth 5.1 on that. And then there's another one that's kind of a, a mid ground called a beacon. And it uses the same Bluetooth unit. It uses the same GPS unit. I think it's um, same battery life. It's just a smaller footprint. 16 grams, and it's uh, $215. So my thought, I don't know what the difference between the Mini and the Beacon is. It seems like the Beacon is probably your better bet of the two. But again, that's the $300, $200 price range, pretty high. They're using very accurate GPSs and um, the latest Bluetooth. So it's going to use very little energy, which is why it gets 8 to 12, 16 hours. Hmm. Um, so that's the stuff out of the Czech Republic uh, from DroneTag. There's a Zephyr Systems DB120 um, from the USA. It doesn't really sell, say where. It's basically a reseller of the Blue Mark stuff. I thought that looked familiar. So they're reselling the DB120, and we don't need to go through that. We just we just went through it. So um, they're reselling it at $305, which is twice the price. Incredible. Okay. Um, Poland. <laughs> Poland has Aerobits IDME. Um, it's not FAA compliant yet, but uh, I think it, it's meeting um, European standards and it just needs to go through the FAA process. But 
considering it's using an M8, uh, M8 unit and it's using SP32 series Bluetooth, which is 5.0, it's going to have the same, it's going to, it's going to meet and comply with FAA likely. It costs $106. It weighs four grams. It's a uh, half inch by one and a quarter inch and it requires five volts to power it. So you can power it off of your, what I like about that is that means that you can power it off of your um, receiver. Receiver, yeah. Well, which is pretty cool. Or a, an ESC, a BEC or something like that. <coughs> like if you have two um, uh, two motors on your on your plane, you can have one of the ESCs use the power to go into the, to the remote ID and then the other one to go to the receiver. Um. No, that both yeah. ESCs still have to go to the receiver. Well, the the signal wire, the one signal wire does. On the ground. Oh yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. If you wanted to bust that signal wire loose. But yeah. Okay. Um, Futaba, and again, I'll think about it now. All the manufacturers that produce uh, ready to fly planes have to produce stuff. So you have Futaba is in the mix with FRID-1, where it's a remote ID unit. And it looks like basically a little board with a power jumper. And that looks really pretty pretty small, pretty slick. Um, if you, you can see, it's $126. Um, there's a picture of it there for, for Joe to kind of see. Um, I'm looking for it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the kind of brown and white package with a little black piece of the power lead oh, off of it wow i went right past it yeah, okay. i know right it's right there um <coughs> pardon me it weighs nine grams so it's not the lightest but it's also not just like a chipboard you throw in there um it requires five to uh 8.5 volt or 8.4 volts so you can put a, a 2s lipo or power directly from your board actually i think it says, it says half a volt but i think that's a might be a mistype. Um, the board is like one by three quarters of an inch, so it's small. Um, they don't have information on kind of what they're, uh, what kind of chip they're putting in it, uh, and that's because it's heat shrink is the they got shrink wrap on the thing, so you can't really see what's in it. Um, but it's FAA compliant, and they're just kind of waiting for official publication. And the Futaba's from Japan. Um, last uh, there's a last couple here. B1 Remote ID Beacon. Uh, it's from Indiana. It's $265. It's a two inch, uh, almost three inch by one inch. It, it has a battery on board that lasts six hours. It has a, a layered BL654. Um, it looks like it's almost a, a reseller of the drone tag beacon from the Czech Republic. Uh, and it uses Bluetooth 5. Um, and if it is, it's a markup of about $50. I'm, I'm looking to see the, the weight. It looks like it's twice the weight. So maybe something else. They might have put a bigger battery. I don't know. Um, or something. But it's very similar. Uh, uh, let's see. Sky ID. We'll talk about Sky ID in a second. Easy ID. Um, Easy ID is from our friends at, our friends at Flight Test. I don't know if they're our friends. But they're, um, they're our, our friends at Flight Test. They have, let's see, I just blew past. I keep kicking, clicking on buttons, and I 
lose track of it. Let's see. It's a hundred. It's one hundred nine dollars. It weighs ten grams, so it's really small. It's it's effectively a little bit more than a board. Um, it requires two S to eight S. So you you provide the power. It's assuming that basically you have a battery You're using the balance lead to power this. <coughs> it uses the FRS twenty eight forty nine Bluetooth chip. Um, and it is going to use an M8Q, a SAM M8Q uh, GPS chip. Uh, and it's a Bluetooth 5.0. And honestly, when you're looking at like the costs of these things, they're probably the closest um, to like bare cost versus markup cost. Not markup cost, but the final cost, retail cost. Yeah, I think they're, they're costing going to be like $21.00 plus for the for the core pieces that go in and they're selling it for 109 like most of them are way above that like the blue mark stuff their components cost five dollars and they're charging 140 or 120 you know like it's it's significant so okay that's that's easy id um and and one of the things that i heard from somebody who's at oshkosh and asked questions about it um, one of the things that I guess uh, flight test is looking to do with that unit is to then also put a logging unit in there. So that way you can go, if you lose your plane, it'll, it'll then transmit that information back that you can review and use that to help find your lost aircraft. Sure. But Bluetooth, it, even Bluetooth five doesn't transmit far bluetooth is a personal area network it it is length you gotta get within like 30 feet well no the whole point is these things have to have to i think the range had to be like 100 100 feet plus i'm not sure but they have to they have to broadcast a certain distance okay i may be cutting that may be downplaying bluetooth too much but bluetooth doesn't reach that far so you'd have to be already pretty close to the plane yeah well i mean we most unless you're going long range you're you're not going to be terribly far from it i guess it's going to send that information also via telemetry right back to your plane or back to your, back to your uh yeah the transmitter unit i mean if you have some way to back pipe it through the uh almost transmitter. almost all receivers do Right, like they don't usually get a lot of information, but if there's a way to get information, they have a method of getting it back. Both, both receiver and transmitter are essentially transceivers. They they do both really. Yeah. They just primarily do one or the other. That's all. And then a last one on the list here is Sky ID, which is uh, Free Skies, Spectrum, like Horizon Hobby and Spectrum work together to come up with Sky ID. So that's the thing when you buy a Horizon Hobby plane. When you go to your basically all of the the hobby shops have Horizon Hobby, so what you'll do is when you go there, um, if you buy an all-in-one or a, a ready-to-fly unit, it'll come with Sky ID probably, and that is uh, they say it's going to be under hundred dollars, which means it'll probably be ninety-nine ninety-nine. <laughs> but you know, honestly, that surprises me with Spectrum's name being on that. Uh, right. Well, right, and there's no there's no information on it really. They just say it's coming and it'll be under a hundred dollars. Which okay. 
<laughs> I mean, that'll be great. A few things you get from Spectrum under a hundred bucks. So uh, we won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into that. We'll leave that one right where it lies. That's a very apt uh, observation, Joe. I appreciate it. There's a um, certain somebody I'm looking at when I say that. <laughs> stop looking at Tom like that. You. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. So, I mean, that's the list. That's 16 models. Again, there's a there's about, it looks like, 12 or 10 companies. Um, you know, got Drone Tag. You got Blue Mark. Uh, UAvionics. You got uh, Flight Test. You got uh, Horizon Hobby Spectrum. Futaba. And there's a couple other guys in there too um and i'm sure this list will expand and i'm sure the prices will change as larger quantities get um developed and or maybe they won't go yeah but it might normalize a little bit better but you can see that there's certain tiers right like if you're using an m10q unit for the gps which is a, a much better um gps or if you're mm. using bluetooth 5 they tend to be more expensive not always, but they tend to be. So take a look at this chart. Take a look at this PDF. It goes through it in pretty good detail, I think. Um, I think they did a really good job of kind of giving you the information that they found, right? Um, and, and that's the other thing is like, you know, do you need to power it? Do you want to power it from your system? You know, how easy do you want it to be to be able to pass from unit to unit? Some of them come with their own cases, you know, and make it real simple. Some of them are pretty much bare boards with like a micro ID, a micro SD chip and a couple connectors and, and some antenna, <laughs> you know, like there's, there's some of them are really bare bones. Um, some of them look like almost like a USB dongle with a, with a USB uh, B type connector. You know what I mean? Like that's what AeroBits looks like. Almost looks mm -hmm. like a little extra receiver unit, pretty much. Um, the The package from the Futaba is huge for the little tiny thing that's going to be in it. Um, you know, the box is like you know, 100 times the size of the unit. You know, flight tests is pretty much like a GPS unit on one side of the board and a processor on the other. <laughs> it's, you know, with a little uh, Bluetooth antenna thing kind of built in. That's pretty basic I mean, stuff. The boards don't have to be complicated. No, they don't. And then it depends on if you want like a, a connector on it or not. I'll probably sell two different versions of it. So it's like, mm -hmm. do I want it easy to connect or do I want to solder it? Like if you're building a drone, like if you're building a quadcopter, you'll probably solder it. It's no, you know, not a big deal. It's something you're gonna just put in there. But if you're like, you know, if you're running airplanes and stuff and you're moving it from model to model, you're going to want a connector. You just basically have a connector in each one of your receivers or whatever. Right. That kind of deal. So, yeah, it depends on what you want to do. Um, they basically, a lot of them tout that it'll be, you know, up and running. And so the FTEZID, let's see, it's been tested to an unobstructed area transmitting uh, a distance of 1,500 feet. So Say I think that that's uh, 1,500 feet is the transmitting distance. It's indicating it's an un unobstructed distance, but. Okay. And they said that that's what it's been tested to. And they say that the GPS unit connects um, between uh, 53 from a cold start and 20 
from a worm. So if things are already kind of running, um, re resetting, you know, basically doing a soft reset will only take 20 seconds to connect. So that way it's their goal. It seems like, and I'm sure that's with most of these guys here. Um, their goal is to keep you, you know, keep you, uh, they don't want to have you have to wait, you know, to connect to GPS to be able to start doing this stuff. Basically as fast as it takes you to kind of plug things in and get ready is about as fast as it should take to connect to GPS. Shouldn't take longer. Yeah. The, let's see, B1 remote ID beacon from Pierce aerospace. I don't know if that was even on the list. That's $265. That has a range of two, two plus kilometers and a six hour runtime. You know, so yeah, that's, there's a lot going on. It's exciting. Um, it makes a lot of people passionate one way or the other, <laughs> you know, um, the good news is for hobbyists, uh, think about it. Like put one of your, the budget you set aside for one of your planes, um, next plane you buy, just buy a remote ID unit. Yeah. There's that. As much as, you know, I don't, I wish we wouldn't have to. Um, but yeah, take a look at the PDF. It'll kind of show you what to expect, at least for now. And know that it'll probably change dramatically over the next couple of years. <laughs> as as some of this technology matures, as some of the requirements and, and some of the vision that FAA has kind of comes to maturity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they've got a plan. Uh, this first version isn't their plan. This is just what it needs to be. I think that's my opinion on it. Oh, no doubt. You know, I don't know. What do you no make of it? No doubt. Huh? What do you make of it, Joe? I haven't been keeping up with it enough. I mean, I think, I think eventually a lot of airspace is going to get, get locked out. You know, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, that said, there's a lot of airspace that's still available. You know, I I think where we my initial thought right now, just as I'm sitting here thinking, yeah. having been on be having been put on the spot, I think airspaces are going to be. I think there's going to be another classification of airspace that is for commercial use that is not. Uh, that that's not like passenger flying. And mm -hmm. I say that to mean for, uh, for, uh, retail use specifically like with the Amazon drones. I think Walmart would love to get into that. Oh, they and all so, claim to. I don't, I don't know how viable it really is. I mean, if it was, if it was viable, it, it's, it'd already be, they'd be happening. It'd be done. Well, it, it'll be more viable as the technology improves. Uh, there, there's battery technology that's making leaps and bounds. Theoretically, in the process. I, I, I see them, and every day I go, "Boy, I wish they would come to the RC market." Right. So <laughs> it would be nice we'll to just, be able to fly my plane for more than ten minutes. We'll just have to see. But what I could see happening, maybe not. Don't quote me on this, but what I could potentially see is population areas having its own designation as airspace, and no hobby flying in 
population areas. So you got a, a small town, even if there's no proper airspace over it, it'll have a classification over it. That's that's where I see potentially going. And that's just one spot. Yeah. You know, one, one idea. Yeah, I don't know. People that get paid way more than us to come up with <laughs> to, things. <laughs> yeah, to, to, to figure these things out. Yeah, absolutely. But. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure. You know, like, I'm just not really sure what. Um, I don't know where, where all this is going or where it's coming from, but I don't know. I will be part of it one way or the other, or we'll abandon ship. I hope that's not the case. Oh, my mic. I don't know. I'd have to actually sit and think and look into you know how all this has progressed and all to really have an opinion on and to give my two cents on where I think it's coming from and where I think it's going. Um, and honestly, real I or remote idea just hasn't really been on my radar a whole lot. Mm, right. So I hadn't I hadn't spent too much time thinking on that front. I would have to now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want to be compliant, um, you know, and that's and and we're not. We're, this is a discussion on what's available, as you have. You know, we're looking at a, a month or so. To, to if you are looking to comply, this is, you know, at least the systems are available now to be able to do it. Um, where I mean, you asked about four, three months ago, there was nothing or there's very little, you know. So it's nice to see that at least there are options. Um, yeah, as everybody who's on this list and and then some, I'm sure, are if they haven't got the FAA um, approval, they're they're looking to get it quickly Mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't know it'll be quite uh you know it may turn the way of the cb where there was a a moment where the fcc said everybody needs to you know be part of a club and take the thing and do a test and you know i mean can't be using these things willy-nilly and i don't uh, remember it was before our time Oh, but, okay. but CBs were the way to talk, right? And that's the part of the FCC jurisdiction. Oh, and after yeah. a while, people are like, I'm not going to do any of that crud. There's no way. You know, I'm just going to do the thing. CBs are easy. Pick up the thing, break a breaker, got a doohickey, you know? Yeah. On a one-niner. You know, like, everyone's like, oh, great. And, uh, and they're like, oh, did you get your certification? No, I didn't. Just picked up the darn CB and hit the button. <laughs> and and so because of the mass non-compliance, I mean n- those rules aren't in place today for that reason. Hmm. Um, I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying that I'm really interested to see where this goes. Yeah. And how it gets handled. What I worry about is that there's one or two poor souls who are going to have their lives destroyed because somebody wants to make. Uh, an example you know yeah. that's all and and that can and has happened it so. has <laughs> it's not what i want to have happen uh to anybody here or anybody in this hobby for sure so yeah. 
Well, I think, you know, we've wasted a perfectly good set a couple Don't, hours here. Okay. <laughs> like, careful with that line there, bud. Yeah, yeah, no, no. We, no, I'm not talking about the hobby. No, I love the hobby. Um, no, no, no. I just. We're good. The, I, I think those people are still out there. That's fine. Okay. That was a uh, car talk reference. I just oh, yeah. their lawyers coming after us. Oh, the, <laughs> if they come after us, we've made it big. <laughs> I'd be impressed. Anyway, uh, it definitely is a nod to car talk. They're an amazing show. If you haven't heard it, uh, go listen to an old archive. Just one. You, you, you can't know. listen to just one. No, you can't, but you can try. So, all right. All right. Well, look, I see a couple of things here. You've got a uh, you've got some links down here in the notes. What's, yeah, what's uh, on one of them is just the the top one is our YouTube channel, and some of these are some of the old videos from the Easy. Uh, I'll I'll be adjusting that. I do have a link up at the top of this uh, this table uh, for Remote ID. Mm. I'll make sure to pr provide that, and that has a whole slew of links. Um. So yeah, and then there's some okay. some of the servo videos. Yeah, I thought okay. we were talking about servos today. So, well, I I was, and then I thought I knew you were going to talk about this, and I thought mm, there yeah. was more to talk about. So, well, I I ultimately I hope that this helps people understand. Uh, I guess the the variety and breadth that are available. That's not as simple as well. You just pick one; they're all pretty much the same. Like no, they're not. They're different, and they're different in price. They're different in capacity. They're different need from your model, you know. So, mm -hmm. you know, pick pick the one that you're uh, most comfortable, like you think will fit best into what you're going to do, and use that. Or, you know, make your make your choice. You know, well. Find your flag on that hill. You're going to die from <laughs> <laughs> kind of deal. I don't know, but either way, if you want to comply. There's there's 16 options as it currently stands and growing, and I, you know again they they run from the cost of a cheap transmitter to the the cost of a ready to fly model, um, which isn't awful, but it's certainly not the forty dollars we were uh, we were suggested um, by the FAA. I think oh, it'll be like this, and you know part of it is you know there has been a significant increase in electronics cost. To a degree, but again, when you look at the twenty, you know, one was it sixth of the cost might be the electronics. Um, I'm I'm I have a hard time buying all that, but yeah, well, whatever. It's what it is. So we'll see uh, what it all is when it gets here. Hopefully, that oh. information was helpful. If you have any information you'd like to share, you can reach out to us on our Discord. We'll have a link uh, in the show notes. Uh, come visit us. We're constantly doing stuff. There's people always talking about uh, things related to the hobby. It's a perfect place to just kind of uh, get your feet wet, get some knowledge, and make some friends. Well, speaking of being constantly busy, but something that we haven't done that we need to put together sometime, we need to get the build parties going again. Oh, yeah. We hadn't uh, We did the one last month. One of those. Yeah, we did. Uh, did we do one last yeah, month? Yeah, it was uh, around the 4th of July. So I'll set up one for this coming month, and we'll set up one for the next couple months. So that's okay. a promise from me to you. Sounds good. Uh, I 
guess that's about it. I know we didn't talk about servos more this time, so we'll uh, loop back on that next time. Yep. Um, and then the offer still stays is still out there for anybody who uh, thinks they want to do a history segment on mm-hmm. an airplane. Uh, or if you'd like to, us to cover a plane specifically, let us know. Yeah, if you have a specific request, or if you want to uh, write up your own notes. And I don't think Matthew and I are against uh, using audio. If somebody wants right. to uh, come on or just record a history segment, um, we'd be happy to work with them on that. Yeah, sounds um, good. You know, between episodes. and Yeah, just reach out to us and let us know. How would they do um, that, Joe? Where would they send it? I don't know. Um, AviationRCNoob at gmail.com. Yeah, my, my mind legit blanks. I'm sitting here looking at the <laughs> clock thinking, man, I am sweating well, in this man cave right now. Oh, my God. Well, well how about this? It, it, <laughs> why don't why I, I do the proper outroll? Yeah, why don't you bring us so out, I Joe? <laughs> I think I think it's. I've had about enough of this today, uh, and I appreciate everybody for tuning in. Joe, why don't you bring us out? Yeah, because once I get once I get into the out the the roll of it, it'll all come back to me. All right, let it roll. Clear to throw it. Don't choke. All right, guys. As always, thank you for tuning in and listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as we've enjoyed having it. Uh, if you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, uh, questions, anything else, I keep trying to add to that list and they never come to no. me. You Thoughts, can reach us rumors. at Aviation. No, 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 don't, don't give us rumors, please. Gossip. Oh, my God. We don't need any of that. Uh, Where should they send? AviationRCNoob at gmail.com. You can reach Matthew at Matthew at AviationRCNoob. Or you meet, uh, reach me, Joe, at AviationRCNoob. Joe, Joe, Joe at AviationRCNoob.com. Yeah. You got it. Uh, <laughs> boy. You could check, swing you by you the check out Discord our website. server. Right. Yeah, feel free to swing by the uh, Discord. Link will be down at doobly-doo. Or you can go by our website, aviationrcnoob.com. Um, and check out the little bit of stuff that we have over there. I know Matthew has grand plans um, that uh, may one day one grand plans. <laughs> come to fruition. Oh, who else has them? Uh, you're supposed to have a bunch, too. Oh, am I? Yeah. I got some of my stuff up there. Where's your stuff? It's coming. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be written in uh, Matty's, which is a totally different language. It's however oh, it's I type. Terrible. It's not quite English. And yeah, it's not quite I, not English. <laughs> I will proof it before it goes live. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> but uh, if you got nothing else, Matt? No, I don't. All right, guys. We're going to get out of here, and we will catch y'all next time. Bye. <laughs>
I had to yoink it hard to avoid hitting the beans at full tilt. She just wanted to roll the plane over, nose it into the beans, and go, oh, no, I can't do anything. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus, please stop doing that. What are you doing? She'd roll it to the left a little bit. So it's kind of horizontal, like vertical, right? And then she would go, oh, no, I better correct it by turning it over even faster. And then pulling back on the stick. <laughs> well, no, and then and I'd be like, Jesus, you're not doing anything about this. Like, oh, crap. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's, you know, inverted and heading straight, you know, turning to nose down. She's not doing anything about it. I'm like, well, you got to get, you got to fix that. <laughs> um, you know, a little bit more left. No, the other right, the other right. <laughs> you know, like, and it's just, I'm like. You're inverted up so yeah, expensive. Exactly. And I basically had to catch it every time it was inverted and heading straight for the beans. So I'd catch it the last minute yoink, uh, on the elevator, you know, I'd roll it quick and turn it. And, and I'd saved it every single time. But that last time uh, it was, it, she just kept going out and out. I'm like, Jesus, it's way too far out there. Like, no, you gotta, you gotta bring it back. And then, and then I think the battery dislodged and it shifted. So then it was tail heavy and it was harder to control. And then I, I had to, and then started going straight to the beans again. And I yoinked real hard because it, there was no other way to save it but to do that. And I saved it, but I think I dislodged the battery because then the motor cut out and I had no control. I just basically, and it was way out at the stanchion again. Mm. And we had a, he had an, we had an okay line, but I mean, it was in the beans and it was under the canopy and there was no, and if the battery's not connected, guess what yeah, you don't get? Beeping. <laughs> no beeping. So, <clears throat> so yeah, it was bad. That's where that's where you need one of those uh, RC locators that the guy was talking about. I have one. I forgot to charge it up and bring it with. And that's what I said. He goes, that's the one thing that's bad about these things is you have to keep them charged and ready. And it's a mess. 